Mr. Smith. positive thinkers. You know that I know a guy, I know a guy who, Jerry, I know a guy who is such an optimist that he only takes up elevators. He refuses to take anything, you know, down as a bad scene. Down elevator, huh? Not me, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. You can hold the applause. That's all right. It's okay. Thank you, gang. It's so uh, you can be, you can be uh, assured. Everything's cool now. I'm here. Just relax, gang. The chief is on hand. And uh, before we get underway, I would like to warn you that there are certain elements of tonight's program which, uh, let's put it this way, uh, which uh, may uh, trouble you somewhat. Uh, <laughs> certain elements. And I would like to suggest, you know, just before we get started, that you go on down the dial where things are much uh, more, well, let's put it this way, uh, dignified. Uh, we're, uh, we have that problem tonight. This is a totally undignified show because, uh, uh, George, would you please uh, give me a little, uh, I don't know how quite to say this, but uh, tonight uh, uh, we've instituted as part of our vast public service programming here, uh, as part of our relevant programming here, We've instituted, among other things, our monthly nudity news. News of creative nakedness. <laughs> it's part of our time. So please bring me on a little of that nakedness nudity music, please. Yeah. Oh, out of and now this concerned radio station, in keeping with its vast public service programming policies, brings you this week's news in the world of uh, <laughs> nudity. Da -da -da, da -da -da. Our first news note tonight. It's from Beverly, Ohio, of all places. 
pictures of two very nude ladies were shown for eight hours over one channel of the cable television system in this southeastern Ohio community Tuesday night. <laughs> About midnight, someone broke into the studios where the TV cameras for the Time and Weather Channel automatically scanned dials, giving nothing but the time, the temperature, and other readings. This guy broke in at midnight, and the intruder, that evil intruder, pasted two pictures of very, very naked ladies over the dials. They were then broadcast for over eight hours steadily to all the viewers who cared to watch. <laughs> Significantly enough, friends, no irate viewers notified the cable TV officials until about 8.30 a.m. It's about the time when the ladies with the blue hair started to get up, you know. <laughs> Stormy weather. And we would like to salute a record shop out in Minneapolis. And I'd like to read you this note. Uh, this is another vast advance in the field of nudity. A Minneapolis head shop called the Electric Fetus held a nude record sale. It was a fantastic success. <laughs> it is also partly the reason why the owners and the business are being evicted and will not be allowed to relocate nearby. To pep up sagging sales, the shop advertised on a local radio station that any customer showing up, quote, completely nude, would receive a free record album and a clay pipe. <laughs> Don't ask me why you got a clay pipe. Obviously, somebody made a bad buy of plenty of clay pipes, and they had a lot of them laying around to give away. Anyway, more than 75 customers took advantage of the offer and arrived Jaybird naked. I don't know whether you've ever seen 75 people all in one great big line on a street in Minneapolis in the middle of the afternoon, Jaybird naked. You're seeing a pretty fantastic scene. Because, uh, unfortunately, nudity, like talent, is not something that is equally distributed. Some people are nude. Others are just plain naked. And it's a big difference there. That's nice, isn't it, George? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's real good. I'll tell you what you can do on that same uh, side there. We have not finished the uh, story of this uh, of this fantastic record shop fiasco. Uh, would you please give me a... Uh, how about... Uh, George, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the option. You're a man of taste, discrimination. Uh, I'll give you the option. You just pick whatever uh, whatever cut you want on that. If you you know anything that that would fit the concept of total, uh, uh, let's say, uh, well, let's uh, say the purple passion, please. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, I'd like to point out though that, uh, that <laughs> like so many things in our world, there was a breakdown of communications. I mean, can you imagine the uh, 75 people showing up? You know, Jaybird naked waiting for their free record. Not everybody in the shop, unfortunately, was aware to sale. I mean, the actual guys running the shop, David Edwards, the accountant, for the, ed for the electric fetus says, and we quote uh, uh, Mr. Edwards, an accountant, remembers an accountant type, he says, well, uh, there were two middle-aged women looking through our import records, and all of a sudden they turned around and were confronted with about 12 naked people just simply standing around looking through the record racks. Well... I'll tell you, he said, they did not change any expression. They just looked. <laughs> he said, I got to hand it to him. <laughs> hey. 
And, uh, of course, there's always the wet blanket in every scene. Keith Heller, president of the management committee of University Community Properties, which controls the property in the area, says, uh, there was the feeling that this uh, sales technique was not uh, exactly uh, desirable for this area. Uh, that's all I have to say at this time. <laughs> Can you imagine if Macy's ran a, a Jaybird naked sale? You know? Oh. You like that stuff, don't you, George? Just sort of, you know, there's so many things going on, screw me. I, I like the idea of these guys breaking in the TV station at night and pasting these two, these two nude pictures on the, on the clocks. I mean, whoever, you know, it, it takes a certain type of person who will watch the television channel at three o'clock in the morning to find out what the weather is. And uh, he gets something else, you know, he turns it on. <laughs> uh, let's see, we got a couple of commercials here. Let's get, let's get them out of the way. You got my, uh, my uh, magnificent Portuguese commercial. Yeah, there, let's hear that uh, that that Portuguese music. Portuguese. Uh, if you're a youth type and you'd like to meet the kids of Italy, friends, <laughs> uh, take your vacation in Portugal this year. This is the year, gang. Uh, Portugal is where the kids of Italy, France, Germany, Switzerland, Denmark. And all those fantastic Swedish chicks are taking their vacations. That's true. This is where a lot of the Europeans take their vacations. Uh, Portugal. And so, just so that the kids of America won't be left out of the action, TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, is introducing a youth fair. It's just $210 round trip economy airfare to Portugal. Subject to government approval, and the ticket is good for a year. Anyone under 26. Well, they, uh... Boundaries of youth is going up, you know, 26. That's, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's a new definition of youth. Anyway, anyone over tw under 26 and over 12 is eligible. In Portugal, you'll meet uh, European kids in the wine country, I'm sure you will. Uh, in the ancient castles, in the museums, a little culture won't hurt your head. On the beach, just laying around doing the thing there. In Portugal, the prices are incredibly low. The food is great. The people are beautiful. Everything moves real good. Call your travel agent or TAP at 421-8500 for complete information about TAP's $210 youth fair that's round trip to Portugal. You get back on that one, too. That's important. <laughs> yes, indeed. Go where the European kids are going, and they're making it big there. Portugal, Portugal, of course. Come here, baby. Let's talk about you. What's the matter, right? Let's not be da 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 you know, I mean, anybody, anybody over 102 gets on, you know. <laughs> George, they have a, you know, they, I can just see them taking on, on a guided tour of a famous wheelchair factory, you know, and, and they, 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 uh, they go and they, they go watch, uh, those beautiful handmade crutches being made in Italy, you know, like I said, oh, that's, <laughs> that's a sick humor. A lot of you know, speaking of sick humor, though, I'm thinking about that, uh, that nude scene there. And did I ever tell you about the great moment that I saw in the nude world? Of course, many of us have probably seen great moments in the nude world. I mean, I'm sure. And not all of us, but many of us, right, George? Right. Pictures have never turned me on. It's the real thing I go for. 
That's right. Which uh, automatically puts us in the minority, George. Automatically. That's right. A lot of people today think uh, sex really is the second reel of a Danish movie. You know? <laughs> a lot of them don't even go in until the second reel comes on. You know, all that stuff in the beginning there, you know? Uh, they, they cut that out. They even leave before the end. Yeah, of course, uh, a lot of people think that sex is watching a guy wearing a pair of black socks and one of those fake mustaches on, too. A lot of tint, 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 the orgy up in Lil's room, you know? Speaking of the... <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me, if I may, if I may digress. Uh, have, you, have you ever had the feeling that your life is one continual, endless digression that it really doesn't have much more than a digression motive behind it? Motif? Motif? It's like a vast doily made out of second-rate polyethylene thread. But uh, nevertheless, I, I was living in a hotel one time, see... And, you know, when you live in hotels, you, you get you get a very different view of the world. Uh, most people have stayed occasionally in a hotel, and some people have even, you know, hotels are used for a number of things. But I've actually lived in a hotel. This is W.O.R. New York. <laughs> no connection. No, 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 no connection. No connection. No connection. Although there is some, I suppose, a peripheral connection. There's a connection between everything. If you want to connect it all in the world, it's all part of the same scene, you know. Ultimate. This is a Zen concept, which I do not wish to lay on you at this time, since you're nervous enough. But uh, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> Let's see. We better get another commercial out of the way. I don't know why I'm so silly tonight. This is Barry Farber with a skull and crossbones on this announcement. If you read to get drowsy, the Book Find Club cannot help you. If you read to stay alert and make those around you proud to be around you because they get more stimulated too, then get acquainted instantaneously right this minute with the Book Find Club. I'm going to issue a telephone number in just a minute. I'll do it three times. The Book Find Club is waiting for you at the other end of that telephone line. This is a different kind of club. You've got all the regular expected club benefits, extra savings on regular hardcover publishers' editions and bonus books and convenience, but it's the books that themselves that make the Book Fine Club a volcano in a forest of Ronson lighters. Hard-hitting books on politics, race, religion, sexual liberation. As an incentive to join now, Book Fine will send you two extraordinary books for just one dollar plus postage and handling. These books, they're typical of the books we offer, retail for about sixteen dollars. Here's what you get for your one dollar. An American Death by Gerald Frank, the true story of the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We may not have all the answers about the assassination of President Kennedy, but you will have the answers about the assassination of Martin Luther King in this book. For contrast, Fields for President by W.C. Fields. This great comic springs the length of his chain and sinks his fangs into politics, babies, business, marriage. Call Oxford 71535 for a trial membership. Get an American Death and Fields for President, both for $1 plus postage and handling. Once a member, you need to buy just two more books in a year, always at discounts of up to 30% off publishers' prices, plus postage and handling. Call Oxford 71535, operators on duty right now, Oxford 71535, or send your name and address, no money, to Book Find, Box 1, WOR, New York, 10018. That's Book Find, Box 1, WOR, New York, 10018. For immediate action, call now, Oxford 71535. There's no one else like him, and there's no one else like you. Bean Delores thinks you ought to get together. You and Jeffrey Bean. Jeffrey Bean, the most admired men's fashion designer on the current scene. Jeffrey Bean at Bean Delores. A distinguished presentation of suits and sport coats. The ultimate in styling refinement. 
exclusive in fabric luxury. Unsurpassed in tailoring magnificence. Now, Jeffrey Bean raises masculine elegance to new heights. Creates a fresh, gentlemanly look in the world's finest double knits. Clothes that merge subtlety, imagination, and taste with the flawless functioning of double knit. And Jeffrey Bean does more. Complements this superb apparel with shirts of surpassing richness. And neckwear of uncommon originality. A unique Jeffrey Bean wardrobe for the unique man. Now, at B&B Lorries, 16 neighborhood fashion centers in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Westchester, Long Island, and New Jersey. And we have one more commercial here. We have the Great Shanghai. Great Shanghai. And, uh... All of you people who, you know, you, you've, we've had the great Shanghai on now for so long that it's kind of, kind of redundant to talk about him. And that's just a great way to blow the commercial, isn't it, <laughs> George? But uh, seriously, friends, as Hugh Downs used to say with such great aplomb on the Today Show, seriously, friends, the great Shanghai Sunday brunch is something else. It's a superb buffet. Uh, all kinds of fantastic Chinese food. It's a really great restaurant, by the way. They're up at 103rd and Broadway. But their brunch is on Sunday afternoon from, well, it's actually Sunday morning and afternoon from 11 to 4. All you can eat for 275. And, you know, you can already get started in most places these days for 275. You know, they bring you the buns. And, uh, the hamburger comes as a special accessory, which you have to pay for extra, you know. Pickle only comes for four to, you know. Children under four feet tall, just a dollar and a half. And if you can, get, you know, get that little short uncle of yours there, the one with a 75-inch waist, is four feet uh, three. Well, actually, you have to be under four feet tall, so that had to be a damn little uncle. Uh, <laughs> you could just wheel him in there, you know, wearing his little sailor hat. For a dollar and a half, he can eat all he wants. It's the Great Shanghai, Broadway at 103rd Street. There's an IRP station right there. That's the Great Shanghai, Broadway at 103rd Street. It's an elegant neighborhood. <clears throat> Yes, indeed. I must say, that guy really did jack up the sailor records of that day. He didn't say whether any of those people showed up. You know, there's a secret desire, whether they actually bought any records. You know, they just showed up for free. Uh, the uh, Let's put it this way. The exhibitionist... Uh, uh, <laughs> urge is strong in certain people. <laughs> in fact, it's irrepressible in certain people. Well, I was living in a in a hotel one time uh, across the street. It was right here in Manhattan, and it was across the street from a place from a from a theater. Well, a movie house, not really a theater. It wasn't even really a movie house. A place where they showed pornies. Okay, I, <laughs> it's a, you can't you can't hardly call it a nabe, you know. It's, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I imagine some of them are getting that reputation. Uh, you know that down south, you know, you think it's pretty hip around here. You know that down south, there's whole chains of nothing but porny movie houses now that are built for that whole thing. Yeah, that's right. And uh, they own a whole new building and uh, so forth. Yeah, one of them's called Gamecock. The whole chain, yeah. It's just a... Uh, Really adult swinging art movies. It's art, you know, it's a, the definition of art, of course. You can define art almost any way you want now, no problem. So I'm, I'm living in this hotel room, and it looked out on 49th Street. See, it's 49th Street, one of the more colorful streets in our uh, metropolis here. Uh, by the way, speaking of the metropolis, uh, I had a very interesting experience the other day, if I may uh, digress again. And uh, 
I'm an urban man. You can see that, George, can't you? Now, I'm not saying this with any pride. I'm not saying it with any input. I'm just saying it. It's like an elephant announces he's an elephant. I mean, he, he is what he is, right? Well, I'm an urban man, see? And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in urban things. And uh, I've, I became interested in urban things probably when, when I became a reader of uh, Superman. I remember Clark Kent. Remember Clark? Old Clark? You remember Clark, don't you? Well, that was Superman's real name, you know? Superman was really an old family name, which uh, was just a, sort of a nickname that they gave him around the family. He was a little kid, you know. And uh, nevertheless, uh, Clark Kent... Uh, <laughs> I wonder what I wonder what it was like the first minute he discovered he could fly. Must have been a hell of a traumatic moment. Uh, when you know, just an ordinary walking walk around kid, and all of a sudden he flapped his arms and took off like a bullet at the speed of sound, you know. And uh, that must have really excited him at the playground. You know, <laughs> he just took off. But uh, nevertheless, Clark Kent. He used to run in this uh, in this paper. You see, and I was living in Chicago, and and uh, and Clark Kent was was. Uh, yeah, he's, he was always involved in the urban world. What was the name of the town he was involved in? You know the, the, the town he was in? Remember? Come on, what was the name of the city that Clark Kent was always uh, dealing with evil and crime in? What? Oh, no, it wasn't Harrisburg. Stop it. What are you talking about? What kind of chauvinism is this? <laughs> All right, okay. So I, I, he was always flying over the buildings, you know, fantastic. You see the streets and the evil crooks and all that running around down there and the stoplights going off and on. And then, then he came on television and radio, you know, Clark Kent. And, and you remember the opening of Clark, of, of the, uh, of the Superman series on television, the ancient Superman series? You remember that? You remember when he, he, he leaped off this building? And uh, he went sailing, he went sailing out over the city, you see, and it's a Superman. On, on came the, the the logo, you know, Playboy, Oski, Watanabe, Superman, faster than a bird, the plane. He's flying out of the city. Well, that was like a, a Superman pose photo, you know, really great. He flew along there. Well, I saw. I'm going to ask you a real piece of genuine trivia. This is real trivia. The people who made the Superman series on television travel all over the country to find the ideal building that they could film the opening scenes of, of Superman, you know, leaping out of his uh, his office there where he was Clark Kent, the hard-hitting reporter, whatever he was, you know, he'd leap out of his... They looked for the ideal building where the surrounding, the area around it, the terrain and everything was just exactly right. And they found that building, and this was photographed at a building. And now that building is a major, a really a major cultural landmark in that town. This is where the actual Superman leaped. What town do you think it was? Do you think it's New York? Forget it. No. You know why they didn't pick New York? New York would be too identifiable. I mean, you know, everybody knows what the skyline of New York looks like. All right, I'll let you think about that for a minute. Shepard knows so damn much. Have you noticed that? It's sickening. He knows everything. And it's discouraging, friends, to know everything. You know, you're constantly surrounded by knaves and idiots and fools. The more you know, the more omnipotent, the, the, more, uh, the more fantastic you get, the more difficult it becomes to, you know, deal with the ordinary people. You never thought of it that way, did you? Or, you know, you've got a great brain that's pulsing, constantly sending out... Sending up enormous waves of electric brain power. 
when you when you can solve problems at a glance, when you can when you can absorb whole continents in uh, you know half an hour in the Tehran airport. You know what Iran is about. This is depressing. Oh man, this is real late night stuff. <laughs> kill the whole scene there. <laughs> Listen to that stuff. But I'll tell you uh, what uh, I'm just uh, probably confusing the hell out of you tonight. But there is a building. Now, I'm not kidding you. There is a building and you'd be surprised where it is that uh, Clark Kent, Superman, leaped out of in the, in the actual Superman TV series. A real building in a real town is standing right there. And by the way, there is a guy who is a who is an accountant, just a plain ordinary accountant. It's kind of sad. He's just a plain ordinary working accountant who is in the office that Clark Kent actually leaped out of in the series. There he goes. It's a bird. It's a plane. And he took off, you know, to fight evil faster than the speed of a traveling train, faster than a bullet. This uh, here, here, this is a guy working there every day. You know, it, it's uh, historic rooms like that always kind of, always kind of overpower you. You know. In fact, I got a letter from a guy the other day who who said that he listens to the show out in the Midwest somewhere out there. You know, it's broadcast someplace, and he says, you know, Shepherdies, I want to tell you. He says uh, you talk about being cowed by your by your surroundings. He said I live in a room here at the University of Chicago, one of the dormitories here. And uh, this is a, a great-looking campus. Have you ever seen the University of Chicago campus? Great look. It looks looks like the way campus should look. You know, it's got it's got these uh, gothic towers and all, all the whole business. It's got the quad and the grass and and the uh, angry-looking students. It's got it's got it all. You know, the whole scene. It just looks groovy. And uh, oh yeah, there's sometimes there sometimes on the University of Campus, uh, University of Chicago campus, uh, you, the the clouds of pot smoke are so thick. That they have to put out special weather bulletins, you know, just to, you know, the visibility is down to 200 feet. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, you can walk along the walks there, just breathe deep, and you can get yourself higher than a kite. You know, sometimes just going out looking at the birds. But uh, nevertheless, uh, and not only that, uh, sometimes the, the the roar of of, of breaking, popping guitar strings uh, can keep you. Uh, it's just so loud you can't even hold an ordinary conversation. So you know it's a typical great groovy university. See, so um, I'm I'm fascinated by this guy's letter. I, I once attended one semester there, hectic, devilish semester. Whew! Oh boy, uh, it had scarred me deep in my soul forever. I, I, I yes, I, one semester at the University of Chicago just curled my soul like a like a like last week's radish. It was just terrible. Whew! No, it's good school. That was my problem. 
I'm basically the kind that should, you know, should have gone to a country club type school. You know, guys go out and play golf in the afternoon and at the little head, you know, little squash in the morning and, you know, they hang around, drink beer down at the quad. You know, this is the kind of school you want to go to. You know, once in a while they sing and they stand up on the coffee table and have a good ride or something like that. You know, who, who needs the studies? It's a drag. So, nevertheless, I got this letter from this guy and he says, I'm telling you, Shepard. He said, uh, he says, I, I'm, uh, he says, I, I was assigned to this room. He says, I didn't choose it. He said, I, he said, had I known about it, he said, I would have chose it, really. It, it, it's, but I it just was assigned to it by a fantastic coincidence. And he says, every night I listen to you here in this room. He said, I, I try to study. It's a little tiny room. You know how these dormitory rooms are. And he said, this is the very room. Well, do you remember two famous characters called Nathan and Leopold. Did you ever hear of them, Jerry? Yes, Nathan and Leopold. Yeah, that was that famous uh, famous pair of students. It was a great famous case, Clarence Darrow and all that sort of thing. Leopold and Loeb, that's right, Leopold and Loeb. Nathan Leopold, wasn't it? And something Loeb. Yeah, Leopold and Loeb were the two students at the University of Chicago who uh, one night, they had two elegant students. These, these guys, you know, they, they had the fantastic IQs, fantastic uh, grades, and they considered themselves very elite types. They decided that, uh, that because they were such elite types, they were, going to con they were going to do the perfect crime. They wanted to experience this, you see. And so they went out and they just killed this kid. Uh, Frank, his name was, wasn't it? Bobby Frank? Yeah, that was the name. And uh, it was a famous case. Clarence Darrow defended them. In fact, I think Nathan Leopold just died here this past year or so. Yeah, he, uh, the other one uh, died in prison many years before. But, but uh, Nathan Leopold uh, was let out, I think, a few years back, and he just died. But uh, the, the, it was Leopold and, and Loeb. Well, he said, he says, would you believe it, Shepard? The room I've got is the room that they plotted the murder in. This is the very room. He says, I'm living in this room. And he says, it was Nathan Leopold's room. And he went to the University of Chicago. He says, I, and he says, uh, I sit there and he said, I, I have your show on. And he said, uh, some nights when the wind blows hard, and, and, uh, you know, you can hear it howling around those old ancient windows of the old dormitory here at the university. He says, my God, talk about getting your head turned on. Boy. <laughs> and and uh, he's, he's in this room. See, so the rooms can affect you very much. Well, I'm in this room in this miserable, rotten, stinking hotel, which I will not even tell you the name of. It doesn't matter. And... Uh, I mean, it's just it's a crummy-looking room. I, I, there's some some hotel rooms are hotel rooms, uh, but if you've ever lived in in in, in a in a theatrical, uh, old-line, cheapy New York City flea bag, you know something about what hotel rooms can be like. This bed, this bed. I I I had this feeling they made the bed out of old gunny sacks and pieces of pipe. It's a strange-looking bed, you know, and it had been painted about 38 times and had lumps all over it, you know, from paint. And the, the mattress, whenever you'd get on the mattress, it'd go, 
out and you'd hear things busting and popping in it. It was like it was filled with old corn cobs or something. And, and, and the, the paint on the walls was this battleship gray paint, this dark, miserable, depressing paint. And, it, and they had painted it over year after year. never cleaned it. See, they just paint over it. So every year they'd paint more of this battleship gray paint. And, of course, it was thick, gloppy paint. And so every year they would paint it, the walls would get thicker. And so now, since this hotel was built right after the War of the Roses, right about the time of the Whiskey Rebellion, the walls were over eight feet thick of nothing but paint. See, and they were getting closer and closer to the people. <laughs> it was like Edgar Allan Poe's, the walls keep sneaking in on you, you know. And it had one light bulb. It had this green cord that hung from the ceiling. And with this, uh, just this one little bronze, you know, this brass uh, fixture hanging down there, and a naked light bulb, you know, just the kind that you see in the, the W.C. Fields me, my little chickenery, and he's in this rotten room, you see the light bulb hanging down. Well, that was the kind of room it was. You want to try to read uh, in bed some night with nothing but a naked light bulb hanging from the ceiling. Oh, you know what it's like, George. Oh, man. Oh, talk about the gray night of the soul. Whew. Well, anyway, this it had a window, this room. See, because I had been there now for a year, they put me in this room with a window. See, that's that's the, that's the ultimate. Um, you should have seen the first room I had <laughs> on the air shaft. That was a great room. <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, you hear these beer cans whistling up and down the air shaft. They go up the air shaft sometimes. That's what they used to get me. You hear it up. One would go and say, what the hell's going on, you know? Throwing beer cans up and down the air shaft. But uh, I, I had been trans. You know, lock, stock, and barrel, I'd been transmitted into this new room. I'd been promoted. See, they gave me the front room there. And uh, and they said the rotten-looking window. It's a gray window. See, the, it, it, for some reason or other, even the glass was gray-colored. It was funny. And they'd peer out. And what? the only thing I could see out of my window was the front of this theater, this, uh, well, this house, that, let's put it this way, this place where they showed the pointy films. <laughs> That's all I look out of here. And I'd look down there and I'd see these guys. See? There's a certain type of guy, a certain furtive type that that uh, gathers before these, you know, every night these things go on like uh, a certain time, I guess, you know, like 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock, whatever it is. And they gather before that. It's a very nervous crowd. They they all sort of stand in there. They're wearing their cruddy-looking sports shirts. And they, and they never look at each other. They just sort of shift them around. They... They, you know, shift from foot to foot like that. They don't want to see the other guys. <laughs> I mean, <you> know. <laughs> and then, then in, in they go. See? So every night I'm, I'm, I'm watching this crowd, this crowd waiting around in front of the pointy house. See? And, that, and uh, it was all, all I could look at. See, I was so sick and tired of looking at the naked light bulb and looking at the wall. And, and, and I didn't have any money, see. So, so uh, you know, what was I going to do, see. And, and so I, I, I just would sit there every night and I'd look down at this crowd. I'd just see them, see. I'd look out there. And so I got to know the regulars. <laughs> you know, I just say, oh yeah, there's this fatty. Oh, by George, there's old checkered shirt. Yeah, there he is. He's down there. Yeah, there's the guy with a skinny neck again. He's there. Yeah. Oh, there's there's the guy with the two left feet. You know, he's down there. He's scratching away. That you know, certain guys. You know, you get so that you know them all. Now you shouldn't. You know, this, this is the kind of thing you just don't want to do. You don't you don't lay this kind of stuff on Johnny Carson. He doesn't know about this kind of world. You know. So I, I'm I'm looking down at these guys and I got to know them all. See. And this continued on. I might point out, this was not just a, uh, you know, one-day or two-day affair. Shepard lives in this room, say, for like eight months. And so uh, when you're, when you're eight, living in a room like that for eight months and you're scratching, 
uh, you know, and, uh, you're not you're not you're not about to uh, to spend much time uh, going to the elegant supper clubs. You spend a lot of time just looking out of the window, see, and uh, worrying about the. Uh, you know how you're going to get your 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 suit cleaned <laughs> for the next sad appointment you're going to try to have with somebody to try to get a job in. So I'm looking out the window, see, and I get to know these guys, and then one after the other, they they, they it was a solid knit crew. Now there were there were certain tranches. You'd realize that certain guys would only show up like once every couple of weeks, but then there was the hardcore regular. I mean, what used to get me was he would come back. The hardcore regulars would come back night after night to see the same film. Didn't matter what film it was. They were always there, see. So I, I got to know. There was about nine or ten regulars in this crowd. And then this great shifting crowd of transients. And then out of the outskirts of the crowd as they're waiting to go in, they're always the ones that have arrived for the first time. They're looking, you know, they're kind of excited and wonder what's going to happen. They're looking around, see. You can always tell the, the rookie types, <laughs> You know, the kids that have arrived from Hackensack, and uh, they're all excited about what they're going to see there tonight, see. Their mother thinks they're at the garden or someplace, and actually they're going to, you know, <laughs> they're waiting for the big scene, see. So I'm looking down there, watching the regulars. And uh, they were really regular, too. That's something, something about this kind of thing makes guys be real regular. So month after month go by, and I got to know almost all of their faces. I got to know even the way they w way they dressed, where they walked. Because when you're when you're living in a in a hotel room like that, almost anything is interesting. <laughs> almost anything. Oh yes, in fact, I even got to the point where I could tell individual cockroaches in the room. I'd watch them. Individuals. Now that's that's not easy to do. I I I I knew, uh, for example, there were three mice that lived under the bureau there. Now, the bureau had not been moved away from the wall probably since roughly the time of uh, Grover Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> there was a Cleveland, wasn't there, in the White House? Well, this, this thing was backed up against the wall. I mean, you, you could see old candy wrappers behind it and stuff. I, thought, yeah, I was always afraid any night the spontaneous combustion would blow up the back of my bureau drawer. There. See, I know God knows what was in there. See, So, so one night I'm riding on this old elevator coming down. I was up on the third floor, see, and I'm riding down on this ancient elevator. It was made like a cage. It's a terrible little elevator. You can come down, you know, and you could see, you could see up to the ceiling. You could see these, these, these cables going way up into the darkness up there. And you saw wheels going, and this old guy in this maroon suit, a uniform that had gold piping on it. said, well, what had been gold probably about the time of Diamond Jim Brady. You know, it's a gold piping, ancient old guy sitting there. And he used to run this thing all the time. His name was Jimmy, see. And so, we're coming down. He says, hey, she's right. you're in my room, 207. And I says, that's right, Jimmy. She's a fine room. I says, that's right, Jimmy. You know who lived there for many years? And I said, who, Jimmy? She, it was Marlon Brando's room. I said, who? Marlon Brando. I said, Marlon Brando lived in my room. He looked out of the same window, saw them same regulars. Every, every time I see Brando, by the way, now in the films, you know, I always say, Brando, you and I have seen a lot of same things. Yeah, we've been there, fella, you know. That same light bulb, you know, the whole scene, see. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm watching these people week after week. 
month after month, until I know almost every regular, you know, and I could tell on certain days their, their mood would change. And then when the, when the yes, we could see them, and and then when the when the film would change, when there's an unknown film suddenly showing, you know, like this, uh, you know, like the, the orgy up in Will's place uh, would 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 disappear, and uh, in would come uh, Lulu's secret, kind of thing. See, in in spectacular erotic color, you know, they'd be very nervous because they knew uh, everything about Lulu's place. You know, the, the orgy up in Lulu's place was very familiar to them. And now suddenly a new film. You know, they were afraid suddenly Doris Day would show up, you know, and, and uh, James Garner would start running around and, and they, they'd be nervous. And then, of course, after a couple of days, they'd settle down and they'd start digging a new film, see. Uh, the, the regulars came every night. They they, they, they never missed it. It'd be there a month. They'd, play, they'd be there 30 days, you know, watching it. All, morning and night. So I'm watching this crowd one day and, uh, just it's 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 deep in my mind now. Every one of these guys, they were so familiar. It was like everybody here in New York City. You, you the the more you live in the city, the more you know people just by their faces. You know thousands of people. You know the guy that works at the newsstand. You know the guy that works down at the cigar thing down there, and the guy that works in the elevator. And you don't know their names, and they're just all there. You know, and so these this little happy crowd of porny fans had become my. You know, my, the, I was so familiar with them all. See, they'd become sort of an alter ego or something to me. By God, it happened. The other night, I'm watching one of these elegant talk shows. One of these elegant talk shows. And a guy that has written a book, you know, denouncing uh, civilization and Western man, and uh, who's, uh, who's going to clear up the whole problems of life and eternal uh, vicissitude and truth and happiness and beauty I wanted these light night talk shows in full technicolor it, it was one of the regulars I recognized him I remember when I was living in that flea bag hotel he used to wear this checkered shirt and he would show up night after night after night now he's become very official famous he's running for office you never know, friends. You just don't know. And maybe that's what makes it groovy. Because <laughs> if you did know, I mean, what a drag it would be. I mean, wouldn't it be terrible if people could really foretell the future? Oh, man, what a drag that would be. That would be, you know, I think if, if they devised a machine where they could actually foretell the future, there would be waves of suicide the world over. I mean it. Really serious about that. And I looked at this guy sitting up there on that on that panel. Now he's got a new checkered shirt. <laughs> he's probably going to more elegant pornies. You know? He's probably going to the premieres of elegant pornies now. You know? And uh, quite possibly he makes his own. This time things have changed a great deal. But somehow there was a feeling of kinship. I looked at that little flickering screen, you know, screen. I said, how are you? You ever see Fatty anymore? You remember Fatty, the one who would always come with the great big bag of caramel coin? You ever see Fatty, huh? Poor Fatty, you could just see him coming down every night from the Grand Concourse for his nightly porny. This nightly porny. <laughs> yeah, this is WOR New York. You stay tuned for Lester Smith and the News.